Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Well, we got to get down to business. This Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarowski Show as I speak. It's May Day. Yeah, May Day. Friday, May 1st. Solidarity to everybody out there. Uh, the headline story in the Sun-Times, our worst day. Very moving story about the frontline workers, the nurses, the nurses' aides, the doctors at Roseland Hospital who are on the front lines uh, trying to help keep people alive in the face of this horrendous epidemic, or pandemic, I should say. So a, sh- a big May Day shout-out uh, to all those frontline workers. God bless them. I'm hidden up here in my attic uh looking out on the alley and the brown line that goes by. So I'm far from a front line, and I just got nothing but love and respect for all the nurses and all the doctors and all the nurses' aides and everybody else uh, at the hospitals around the country. Uh, bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. I, as a tradition, I asked my distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Really honored to be a distinguished guest of the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> Show. I'm uh, Micah Utrecht. I'm the managing editor of Jacobin Magazine, which is a socialist magazine. Uh, and I'm the author of a new book. It's called the co-author of a new book, I should say, uh, of a new book called Bigger Than Bernie, How We Go From the Sanders Campaign to Democratic Socialism. All right. Yes. Micah is a frequent guest uh, on this show. And uh, I suppose, Micah, it's only appropriate that I'd be interviewing you on May Day. I didn't plan it this way. I didn't say, it's just lefties on May Day I'm going to interview. But Although I will point out that it's been nothing but lefties on my on my show today. i got to move a little more right every now and then, Micah, uh, just to broaden my horizons. Remember when I had you on the show with a, a Biden supporter? Do you remember that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, and you've had me on with uh, Warren supporters. And you know, I haven't debated a Republican on your show yet, though. I don't know when that's going to happen. Well, we only have had one Republican on. No, that's not true. Two Republicans. Willie Wilson has been on the show. And I'm in honor of uh, Willie. I'm wearing my Willie Wilson for Mayor t-shirt today. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and Nick Spazzato, who is the alderman from uh, the 38th Ward. I don't know if technically he is a Republican. But he voted for Trump, so he's been on the show. So I guess that constitutes two Republicans. All right, uh, plenty to talk about with you today. Uh, I've, as all my guests today uh, have been sent homework assignments to watch Joe Biden's interview uh, on Good Morning Joe or whatever the hell they call that show. And uh, 
Uh, and uh, so, Mike, I sent that to you. I sent it, sent it to Samina, who's going to be interviewed. I sent it to Ramon. Everybody's getting that uh, tape, so we'll talk about that. But let's talk about your book, uh, Bigger Than Bernie. Down through the, the last year or so, seems like you've been coming on the show talking about that you're working on your book. Remember once I said you can't come on until you finish your book? Uh, <laughs> I made you go home and work. Uh, and in <laughs> instead, you squandered your time watching the alligator. Um, so uh, that's summer. He's not over that yet. Can you tell? <laughs> so, so Micah, tell everybody a about your book. So I wrote this book, or co-wrote it, uh, because basically there are not a lot of books out there about Bernie Sanders and the impact that he's had on American politics, both you know immediate and potentially long term. And that's what the book really set out to do because before Bernie ran in 2016, we were all told that, you know, Americans are fundamentally kind of conservative people, you know, center right the way it's often described. Uh, they'll never go for any of the socialism stuff. They'll never go for anything that smacks of class warfare. Uh, you can't argue for things like taxing the rich and, you know, having a stronger labor movement. You can't argue that the working class needs more power in this country because we're not even supposed to have a working class. It's just the middle class, right? Uh, and so there's all these fables about uh, American politics and the American people that are told. And Bernie's two campaigns, even though obviously he lost both of the two campaigns, his campaign for the Democratic nomination for president, the two campaigns that he ran have shown that that fable is just that, it's fable. That there actually are millions of people in this country uh, who uh, respond uh, very excitedly to uh, an open democratic socialist running for president who's talking constantly about the millionaires and the billionaires and, you know, talks about things like getting Medicare for all and uh, a robust response to climate change. He, you know, made all those things and, and much more really central to his campaign, free public college. Uh, and people were you know, lit on fire by it. Um, you know, not enough to overcome the Democratic establishment in the uh, presidential nomination race, the Democratic nomination, but millions of people were indeed uh, very excited. And so uh, we take stock in the book of what, how politics has changed over the last four years or so since his first campaign and some of the wins that have happened, you know, at the national level with people like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's a member of the Democratic Socialists of America. There's, you know, half a dozen socialists who are now on the Chicago City Council. We talk about some of those fights, but then we also uh, just, just kind of sketch a, a an argument for how people, you know, we can have, uh, we can build a movement that is bigger than Bernie, a movement that goes beyond just getting people elected, that includes, you know, strengthening the labor movement and other kinds of social movements, but also uh, you know, makes an argument for more people running like Bernie uh, for elected office and uh, people who are not afraid to call themselves democratic socialists and who are not uh, afraid to talk about economic inequality and the need to take on the rich people who are hoarding all of the stuff and all of the political power in this country. Uh, so that's what the book's about. And we kind of, we want to pitch it towards people, uh, especially who were excited by the Bernie campaign, uh, but sort of don't know where to go next. And that we kind of lay out a roadmap of, of where to go next for the people who are so excited by that movement. And um, I, I don't think that we have, you know, there are people in the Democratic establishment who are still, you know, gloating about the end of Bernie's campaign. But I really don't think that American politics will be the same 
after Bernie's campaign. I mean, he he lost his uh, second campaign, but I wouldn't call it a failure in that it has the potential over the long term to really reshape American politics and uh, in, inject a new kind of left wing energy into our politics that we, is not going anywhere in the years and decades to come. All right. There's plenty to take apart there uh, and f- with follow up questions, Micah, but um, just some one basic point. Uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Bookstores are closed. If people want to buy your book, how can they buy it? So the magazine that I uh, editor at Jacobin, our website is jacobinmag.com, and we have uh, the cheapest you will find the book anywhere, twelve ninety five for a hardcover. You can't even get like you know a Nora Roberts romance hardcover <laughs> for twelve ninety five. It's a good, very good deal. So you can go to jacobinmag.com slash store mm-hmm. and you can get the book for twelve ninety five. Uh, also the publisher Verso is at versobooks.com and I believe it is forty percent off right now. So a good deal uh, no matter where you get it. All right, rush out and get the book. Uh, by the way, we had a lot of fun uh, last week I've lost again I, I've been losing so much track of time. Uh, the picture of Mayor Pete uh, reading your book <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. He somehow got a paperback copy. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) Clearly, clearly a fake news photograph. But uh, we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, Has Mayor Pete responded to you in any way? Has he uh, sent you a text or anything after that photo was circulating the internet? Uh, He has not. And I would say, for the record, that I did not make that photo. My my photo. I have no Photoshop skills, so I could not be trusted to do such a thing. But the funny thing is, he. He should uh, you know, reach out to me because I wrote my portion of the book in South Bend, Indiana. I have a friend who lives here in Chicago, but also has an apartment in South Bend because he teaches at the university there. And I needed to get out of town to write it. And so I was in Pete's backyard, uh, wrote, wrote the book about socialism, about basically everything that Pete stands against uh, in Pete's hometown. So, you know, I, I feel like I should get a sit down with Pete or something. Uh, all right, now let me uh, get some uh, a gripe I have off my chest and uh, get your response to it uh, before we move on and talk about what the movement should do and um, Joe Biden. And that is this. I feel that Bernie Sanders uh, is being unfairly treated these days. I feel that uh, obviously the establishment, uh, Democrats, un- just made up history in terms of blaming Bernie for Hillary Clinton's t- 2016 uh, defeat. And this time around, I believe that Bernie was being a good sport, dropped out of the race when he saw that there was no path to victory or in the middle of a pandemic, and he was clearly losing primary after primary. And yet many of my friends of the really pro-hardcore Bernie persuasion are mad at him, saying that he should have continued his campaign. What's your take on all that? Well, I don't think, I mean, yes, it was true that he was in a situation where it looked increasingly unlikely for him to win and that we were in the middle of this pandemic, which nobody, nobody knows what to do in the middle of this uh, pandemic. Um, but I do wish that he had stuck around if for no other reason that he would have been able to continue uh, advocating for his form of politics uh, in, on a national stage, which is so desperately needed, especially against somebody like Joe Biden, whose politics Frankly, if you look at them on paper, aren't that different from an average Republican. I mean, he's been this kind of deficit hawk. You know, he's talked about cutting Social Security. He played a key role in, in the Democratic Party in pushing us into the 
Iraq War. He, you know, he, I, he has a D after his name, but I feel like most of the things that he's fought for his entire life have been pretty uh, Republican-ish politics. And so Bernie would have stuck around longer. He would have been able to uh, push Joe on that front. He also uh, would have been better able to collect delegates to go into the DNC, uh, whatever form that ends up taking this summer. Uh, to continue to advocate for rule changes and, and for reforms within the party that would allow for, uh, you know, a decent leftward movement and more democracy within the party. I mean, you remember last time in 2016, he, uh, they, they scaled back the use of superdelegates for 2020, uh, that there was going to be no superdelegates in the first round of voting for the, uh, the nominee at the convention. And that was something that came out of Bernie's first campaign and the re- rules reforms that they fought for uh, at the DNC then. So uh, I think there are a number of reasons why uh, Bernie, you know, why he backed out of the way he did. And I can, you know, I disagree with him on some of them, but I also think that what is significant about his campaign is going to last a lot longer than just this election cycle. That's what the real focus of people should be on assessing Bernie and what he accomplished in his two campaigns. Well, would you talk about the significance of Bernie's campaigns, uh, which will have a longer lasting impact? What specifically do you mean? Well, you know, like I said in the beginning, we are always told, we've been told for years, for decades, uh, that Americans just don't go for Bernie's kind of politics. And if nothing else for the Bernie campaign, We've been given permission to actually have a different kind of politics from the Democratic Party. And the Democratic Party, especially over the last couple of decades, has moved further and further to the right, has become this kind of centrist, you know, pro-corporate, what is often referred to as neoliberal, like pro-free market. You know, people like Rahm Emanuel, your, your old friend Rahm, uh, are, you know, <laughs> yeah. prime examples of that kind of rightward movement of the Democratic Party. And this is supposed to be our country's left party, right? It's supposed to be the party of the people, the party that, far, that, that fights for the working man, the working man and woman, uh, that, you know, that is affiliated with the labor movement and all of that. And yet the party has gone further and further right over the years. And so uh, I think there's a potential for Bernie, and, and my hunch is, is that this will end up coming to coming to be, uh, that much like somebody like, say, Barry Goldwater in 1964, you know, he ran for president and lost very badly. He ran a pretty far right campaign for president. Uh, and he lost the, the campaign. He didn't become president. Uh, but we now look back on history as his, in history, as his, on his campaign as having pushed the Republican Party far to the right over the long term and helping pave the way for Ronald Reagan and everything else, which, you know, we're still dealing with that in our politics today. And so uh, I think that Bernie will have a similar uh, role, but from the left, uh, that he will have been the kind of uh, opening uh, shop in the uh, movement of the party leftward and the movement of our politics as a whole leftward in the society uh, because he's given people, uh, you know, the permission to fight for those kind of politics that they've they've been told their entire lives that they can't uh, fight for. It's not guaranteed, I don't think, that, you know, people will have to actually, like, pick up the torch from him and continue that fight. Um, But I think that the potential is certainly there. And there are many examples you can point to, you know, in Chicago and around the country of the people who already are getting elected to office, uh, who are open socialists and are fighting for a different kind of politics uh, within the Democratic Party, within uh, within the society as a whole. So I think that we're, we're sort of set up to move in that direction. 
And I think Bernie, even despite losing twice for, for his run for president, um, will be seen as a kind of catalyst in that movement over the long term. There is some debate as to what should happen to sort of the the specific entities that Bernie helped create over the last four years. There was just an article I read uh, in your magazine, Jacobin Magazine, by a gentleman, uh, David DeHaldi. I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, who is the former yeah. political director of Our Revolution, and talks about the different uh, shapes that uh, these institutions that Bernie helped create could go. What's your thoughts about this? Like, wh- What should the Our Revolutions uh, do, or the Sanders Institute? What direction do you think they should head into? Well, I mean, I am a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, uh, which is a very different organization than one like uh, Our Revolution. Um, it's much more of a grassroots organization, you know, one that doesn't have a whole lot of staff, a whole lot of resources, but has played a really important role in moving our politics leftward. And there are a bunch of people who are members of the DSA, who uh, you know are six socialists in the Chicago City Council and AOC and many other people have been elected in the last couple of years. So I put more, uh, more emphasis and more hope in that kind of kind of scrappy grassroots organizing. Um, I do hope that Bernie uh, I mean, you know, we're, we're in, he's still figuring out what he's going to do with this campaign infrastructure that has been uh, built. And he used that campaign infrastructure. One of the things that's so unique about the campaign that we write about in the book is that he used that campaign infrastructure, not just to try to get people to vote for him, but also to do things like when there were strikes, you know, go if, if there's a strike in your city, he would have his uh, campaign send text to all of the supporters in that city and go say, go support the strike. And so that kind of use of his campaign uh, to, you know, not just try to get votes, but to strengthen those kind of grassroots struggles uh, was really innovative. And it's something that uh, we can't just let fritter away. Uh, you know, that, that, has to, that infrastructure is really important and it, it reaches millions of people at this point. And so you, we can't get rid of that. Um, and, you know, he has, said i mean just this week i think he rolled out a new website where he was encouraging people uh to join a number of different kinds of organizations one of which was the democratic socialists of america i think maybe the sunrise movement the movement that's mostly young people that's fighting for the green new deal was also on there he, he put out a, a list of possible uh, places where people who were excited by his campaign should go. And I think that uh, that is, you know, whatever, wherever people end up going, uh, they need to go somewhere and people shouldn't be totally demoralized by the end of this campaign, because in many ways, the end, you know, the the two campaigns that he ran uh, open up new opportunities for uh, lefty people to seize uh, rather than to just, uh, you know, throw up their hands and disgust at the political process. What about remaining in the Democratic Party and trying to push the Democratic Party further to the left? What uh, what do you think the future holds for that? We have a whole chapter on this in the book, and there's a really basic problem that people who are from the United States often don't think about, which is that our political system is very different than most other countries. Most other countries that are like ours have a real left-wing party. Uh, they have a social democratic party, a labor party, you know, a workers' party. Uh, you know, look at uh, Canada has the New Democratic Party, which is a, a party that has you know, some you know strong ties to the labor movement. There's obviously the Labor Party in the UK. Uh, the Democratic Party is not like those parties. It is a fundamentally 
capitalist party. I mean, it's a party that has all kinds of uh, corporate funders within it, as well as, you know, union members and civil rights activists and environmentalists and all, you know, progressive activist types. Uh, and so the people who, you know, for example, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield executives who profits depend on uh, denying people claims for their health insurance are in the same party as people who want to win Medicare for all. Like that's kind of a problem uh, because one one of those sides is going to win, the other is going to lose. And, uh, you know, typically the side uh, that is the CEO that tends to win. Um, so this is a problem that we have been dealing with that left, the, you know, socialists and other progressives have dealt with uh, for for decades, for, you know, over a century. Um, we talk in the book about Bernie showing that there is a kind of a, a third way from people who either say the Democrats are worthless and spineless and so we're just going to break from them and, you know, go form something like the Green Party or some other kind of party that will be a really good party. And, of course, they end up going nowhere because the whole system is organized against them. Or people who say, well, the Democratic Party is the only game in town, so they just go into the Democratic Party and then the Democratic Party ends up pulling them rightward in that neoliberal direction. Uh, Bernie showed that you can engage with the Democratic Party, you can run on its ballot line, but he also had this history of a level of independence from that party and talked about the real problem that this Democratic Party establishment exists uh, that pulls people to the right and is pro-corporate and, and everything else. Uh, and so that is, that's what we kind of call a dirty break strategy uh, in being that you want to break from the Democrats eventually um, and, and found something like, you know, a labor party in the UK or some other kind of actual left wing party in this country. Um, but do so, you know, basically it's a path beyond the Democratic Party that goes through the Democratic Party. And a lot of things would have to change, obviously, in order to make this happen. And who knows what the time frame of that is going to be. It might be decades from now. Um, but there is something that seems very deeply wrong with the Democratic Party. And lots of people have tried to push it leftward over the years, but instead it's just gone further and further and further to the right. Uh, so we try to speak to the, in the book to the real problems that do exist with the party and some, you know, put forward some ideas of how that can be changed. All right. Now, when you uh, talk about everything that's wrong with the Democratic Party, uh, I don't mean to be heavy-handed with what I'm about to say, but it seems like a, a, an obvious transition to Joe Biden. And uh, not saying that Joe Biden is everything that's wrong with the Democratic Party. Uh, I'm struggling with his nomination or his apparent nomination. Uh, but Joe Biden is or presumably will be the, the nominee that the Democrats send out uh, to uh, battle Donald Trump. Uh, Joe Biden is sort of the antithesis to everything that Bernie Sanders stands for in terms of uh, lefty politics. Uh, Joe has, to put it mildly, as you said, had been a centrist um, his whole political career and is now just sort of inching uh, toward the Bernie side of the fence. And I, and I emphasize inching. Uh, many of my uh, fellow Bernie Sanders supporters are really having trouble supporting him. What's your take on Joe Biden's campaign so far? Well, he, we, there's his record, which, as you mentioned, is uh, kind of the polar opposite of what Bernie has done. But then there's his campaign. And... I guess you could say that his campaign has been, I mean, at least unlike Hillary Clinton, let's say, 
Hillary Clinton was kind of openly hostile to Bernie and his supporters from the time of the campaign to like present day, right? Like she's still very angry about Bernie. Joe Biden has at least said, you know, I hear that you guys are passionate about Bernie. You're passionate about these issues. I understand. He tried to throw people some bones, but the bones have not been particularly impressive from the standpoint of somebody who's a Bernie supporter. I mean, like his first overture on healthcare reform, you know, Bernie said he wanted a Medicare for all system that would cover everybody. And Biden's first proposal was that he would lower the Medicare age to 60, uh, which is pretty pathetic given that even Hillary Clinton at one point in her career was talking about lowering it, you know, far, far below 60. I mean, it's like not, not much of a, a bone that he's throwing people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as time goes on, he's like talking about bringing back, I mean, basically the same crew of the sort of right wing of the Democratic Party to handle his uh, economic, you know, policy. Um, I'm just not particularly impressed. I mean, these people seem to not think that they really need to give anything substantive to the left, which makes people on the left you know, deeply suspicious of them. And, you know, they, they say that they want the votes of people on the left. Uh, but when they're still, even if they're not being as hostile as Hillary Clinton was and is, um, they're not actually doing much that's substantively different from what the party has done uh, for the, for, you know, the last several decades. Um, and, you know, Biden's campaign so far has not really been one about policy. I mean, name one thing. You, you say Bernie Sanders. You know, what is what is the Bernie Sanders campaign about? The average person would say, oh, that's the guy who, like, wants the Medicare for all system. You know, he wants free uh, medical care for everybody. He wants free public college. You know, he's associated with certain policies. What is Joe Biden associated with? Uh, Policy-wise, I, yeah, I, I, I'm an editor of a magazine. I don't even know what his, what his like, policy platform is. Like, his whole campaign is, like, I was, you know, Barack Obama's number two. Uh, so he's not running on substantive left-wing policies that would actually change people's lives. And so I think people who uh, got so excited about the Bernie campaign are going to continue to be disillusioned, even if they want to see the defeat of Donald Trump, which I don't think anybody, you know, and anybody who's awarded Bernie Sanders obviously wants to see the support, wants to see the defeat of Donald Trump. Um, but they they don't see Joe Biden as somebody who they can really get excited about uh, actually accomplishing that. Uh, and so we're sort of stuck in this very unfortunate uh, position uh, where it's 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 doubtful that um, you'll be able to get uh, it's certainly a huge number. I mean. I, you know, if I were a, a person who lived in a swing state, I would have no problem casting a vote for Joe Biden. I, I wouldn't think too hard about it. Um, but I think that there are lots and lots of people in the country who support Bernie um, who just won't do that or just won't. They won't vote. You know, it's not like they're going to vote for Trump. They'll just throw up their hands and say, uh, well, you know, I, I don't see any point in participating in this. And that is a, a real danger for anybody who wants to see Donald Trump defeated, as I do. Oh, I, I'm with you there. I say this all the time. Uh, I, I divide Bernie Sanders supporters into three categories. Uh, those who will vote for Biden regardless. Uh, those who will only vote for Biden if they uh, live in a swing state. Uh, and those who just are not going to vote for Biden. And I know a lot of Bernie supporters in that last category. Uh, I, I'm sitting near one right now, I think. And um, they're just not going to vote for Joe Biden. And my advice to Joe Biden has been, 
you shouldn't even try to win them over. You just, they're not going to vote for you. So my advice to Joe Biden is really what my advice to Bernie was, and that is to build your base among black voters. And Bernie was unsuccessful. He was unable to do that. He was unable to do that in two election cycles. Very frustrating when I when I saw the failure there. Uh, but uh, Joe Biden, in my humble opinion, that's the key to winning, to defeating Donald Trump. Because if he tries to get the hardcore Bernie support, they, I mean, he's not even going to try, Micah. You know that. He's not. He's going to give him lip service, which isn't going to work. They don't like him. They don't like his policies. They don't like where he comes from. You know what I'm saying? They're still mad over 2016. He's not going to win them. That's just. I, I think that's right. But the problem, you know, it, it's right that he might not win over those people. But the problem is that it, it's not like he can just then say, well, therefore, I'm going to go win over black voters. Because if you remember in 2016, there were there was all kinds of coverage after the election about how black voters also were not showing up for Hillary Clinton. Like I remember a big New York Times story about uh, Wisconsin and it was uh, parsing a lot of the elections data in Milwaukee and interviewing all kinds of uh, people from, uh, you know, poor black neighborhoods in uh, Milwaukee that were uh, seen as kind of uh, stalwart supporters of Democratic candidates. And the people who they interviewed for that piece all were saying, uh, you know, I just didn't see any point in voting. I just stayed home because I didn't think uh, I wasn't excited about either of the candidates. They, you know, they, they of course, weren't uh, enthused about Donald Trump for obvious reasons, but they also saw Hillary Clinton as a sort of like a business as usual. And so they didn't come up, they didn't come up for her either. So it's like it's not like you can say, OK, I won't go for I won't try to get the you know progressive minded young uh, voters and in, we should also I, I always i think i've said this on your show before we should always remember that it's not just like black voters as a monolith right it's like because black voters under like 40 were very excited about bernie sanders uh but it's the older black voters uh you know, i mean black voters in 2016 also did not show up to vote uh so absolutely i i would wor- i would worry about a strategy that, that thinks that you can say okay i'll forget about these bernie supporters but i'll focus on these older black voters they might not show up to vote for you either if they're not particularly enthused about you as a candidate. No, I uh, I, I feel that the Democratic Party uh, has been far more callous to black voters than it's been to Bernie voters. And I feel that the, the um, balance is so out of proportion, out of whack. Um, nothing but allegiance from black voters, largely because they have no alternative. Because let's face it, right. the Republican Party is an abomination. Uh, on issues that affect uh, black people in this country. So what a joke that like you would exp- like a, an average black voter would go Republican. Uh, they they oppose absolutely everything that could like have a practical impact on the life of somebody let's say living on the west or south side. The Democratic Party, yeah. yes, I agree with it has been a disgrace. They take the black vote for granted. Uh, but my my advice, of course, which will never be heeded, Micah's <laughs> it's I'm used to that. Story of your life. Yeah, story of my life is to <laughs> To rigorously go out uh, and, first of all, have a, he has to have a black running mate. No doubt in my mind. And when you talk about Hillary in 2016, she didn't have a black running mate. She went with uh, Kane. What a, what a bad move that was right there, right off the bat. And uh, so, you, yeah, they take the black vote for granted. Or they don't want black people voting because if black people vote in Chicago, let's say, Rahm Emanuel uh, would have had, a, had to be a different kind of mayor than he was. So... The Democratic Party is, 
is in a really uh, precarious situation uh, when it comes to getting its core voters out. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit specific about Joe Biden uh, in terms of the um, his latest uh, oh, controversy. He was on, uh, as I speak today, he was on, he was being interviewed by Amika Brzezinski. I dutifully sent you a copy of that interview. Did you get a chance to watch it? I watched the first half of it, yeah. Okay, so you got the gist of it. Uh, and uh, so this, of course, Tara Reid has accused him of sexual assault, uh, an incident that occurred allegedly in 1993. Uh, Joe Biden did, has denied it. What was your thoughts about how Joe Biden handled himself in that interview today? Well, not anything that was particularly surprising. He denied it, and then he didn't have, I mean, he, he didn't deny it at length. He just said, no, didn't happen, uh, and emphasized that over and over again. Um, it's, you know, the, my issue with this whole uh, this whole scandal is not that people are suddenly, uh, you know, finding you know, the, the mainstream media, especially like MSNBC and other the kind of liberal Democratic Party affiliated media, uh, want to say that they want to handle this allegation with some level of care and, and, and fully investigate the allegation. It's that uh, previous to this allegation. Uh, they were, you know, more than willing to uh, run with any kind of uh, accusation of sexual assault against a whole range of people. Um, and that's, you know, been a product of the Me Too movement. And it's a good thing, obviously, that we are having a, a very different discussion of what, you know, sexual assault and sexual harassment and all of that look like in society. I'm, I'm a feminist. That's a great thing. Uh, but now all of a sudden that it's happening to Biden. So much of the liberal media, I mean, it took forever for, for Biden to be asked this on a network like MSNBC, right? Like these allegations have been swirling around for weeks and like so much of the mainstream media was really uh, trying to put the brakes on it, having any discussion about it whatsoever. It was ignored. Uh, it was, you know, there are many liberal writers who were feminist champions of the Me Too movement. But now, as soon as Joe Biden is accused, uh, they want to, uh, you know, ask some very different questions that they weren't asking of the other kinds of accusations that came around. So um, to me, it's just like a not, it's hard to watch because it's just such a blatant double standard uh, now that Joe Biden is somebody who everybody uh, in the in sort of liberal and Democratic Party affiliated uh, media wants to see defeat Donald Trump. Uh, that, that now that he is the one who is being accused of such a thing, they're all of a sudden like becoming, uh, I mean, trying to downplay and tamp down uh, her accusations. And to me, it's just kind of gross to watch again, not because I don't think that we should, we should uh, have a, a full, you know, full investigation of what exactly happened here. Uh, but Tara Reid's accusation seems to be becoming more and more credible. There are more and more pieces of evidence that are being produced uh, from, you know, years ago that show that she had this claim. There are people in her life who she told about this uh, uh, allegation. She said that this happened to her. Um, and so there's more and more evidence popping up. And yet there are many people who used, who used to portray themselves as champions of the feminist movement are now seeming to have second thoughts. Yeah. Uh, and in some ways, what you're describing, I, I lived through already once before with uh, Bill Clinton. It uh, feels like history keeps repeating itself. That said, I, 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 as I always say, uh, whenever anybody uh, raises these points, I just want to point out one more time uh, that they're uh, E. Jean Carroll, 
uh, a very prominent writer, has accused Donald Trump of rape. I don't believe she's been uh, brought on any TV shows, on any networks, anywhere. So um, it's a very uh, strange moment in American history. We'll have the sitting, the incumbent president running for re-election accused of rape and the, um, his challenger from the Democratic Party accused of a sexual assault. Not much to choose from uh, for the it's voters. Incredibly, it's incredibly damning of our, you know, our political elite. That this is the situation that we find ourselves in. I mean, these are the choices that we have to, to for the people to become the master of the universe. Like you couldn't find anybody who doesn't have a credible sexual assault allegation against them. I mean, uh, it, 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 you can't feel too good about America, American, America's political system when you take a look at that situation. Uh, Micah, we're running out of time here. I just want to give you an opportunity one more time to tell folks the name of your book and where they can find your book. So the name of the book is Bigger Than Bernie, How We Go From the Sanders Campaign to Democratic Socialism. I wrote it with Megan Day. We both work for Jacobin Magazine. And the best place to get it is at jacobinmag.com slash store, Jacobin, like the name Jacob, I-N, mag.com slash store. Uh, it is uh, very much on sale at our website right now. All right, Micah. Thanks so much for making time for us. I appreciate it. Can't wait to see you again. I haven't seen you in a long time. I haven't seen anybody in a long time because uh, I'm stuck <laughs> You're just up there in your attic I'm by yourself. I'm in the attic, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, Micah's one of the great uh, leftist writers in the city of Chicago. Micah, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's Micah. I'm Ben. Take care, everybody.